Modern smartphones are sleek and thin, but they're also fragile and expensive. If you're really careful, you may use it until you're ready to upgrade without shattering the glass. But if you look around, you'll see most phones wrapped in a case for protection. Our personal data is even more valuable than the device it's stored on, and it deserves just as much protection. The work that I do requires me to travel a lot, which means I'm frequently to connect, connected to unfamiliar networks. Nefarious hackers can make up to $1,000 selling the data of each of their victims on the dark web, and there are cheap hardware and software tools readily available that let even a smart middle schooler snatch your data without you even noticing. A virtual private network, or VPN, like ExpressVPN, creates a secure, encrypted tunnel between your devices and the servers that you're transmitting data to and from. When you're, when you're sitting at the airport gate area, or airline lounge, or even your hotel room, those Wi-Fi networks aren't secure. Your bits are flying through the air, and whether you're checking your bank account balance, sending data to a client, or just checking your email, bad actors can snatch up your usernames, passwords, and everything else you send and receive if it's not encrypted. The layers of security used by ExpressVPN would take over a billion years to expose by bad guys with some of the most powerful supercomputers. ExpressVPN trusted server technology also runs each session in memory in a unique virtual space that is wiped clean as you end your session with none of your data ever written to a hard drive, so there's no residue for anyone to recover about what you were doing after the fact. ExpressVPN runs on almost all devices, including Windows, Mac, iOS, Linux, Android, streaming devices like Chromecast, Roku, Fire Stick, and Apple TV, and there's also a Chrome browser extension. It's super simple to use. Once you install ExpressVPN, it's one click to establish a secure encrypted tunnel with servers in 105 countries around the world. I've personally been paying for and using ExpressVPN for years on all of my personal devices. When I, started, when I first started using VPNs for work more than 20 years ago, they were often slow and unstable and had to be restarted frequently. But with ExpressVPN, data speeds are virtually unchanged from running fully exposed, so you can just turn the VPN on and leave it on. I often get materials from clients and companies that are, that are under embargo or NDA, and if it leaks out, I can get into some trouble. But even if I just wanted to reach back to my personal server to grab some files, check my email, or watch something that's only available on one of my streaming services at home while I'm out of the country, ExpressVPN lets me do it all securely. Your data is valuable. Don't let bad actors steal it and potentially misuse it. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash wheelbearings. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash wheelbearings. And you can get an extra three months free when you sign up. Expressvpn.com slash wheelbearings. And thanks to ExpressVPN for supporting wheelbearings. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue. All in the Kroger app. Get three pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Coming up on episode 338 of Wheel Bearings, we've got the Audi Q8 e-tron Sportback, the Kia Carnival, Ford Transit 2500, Toyota uh, SUVs on blizzacks in winter conditions, the Honda Passport Trail Sport, Super Cruise expanding, the price and range of the Chevy Equinox EV, supercharger interoperability problems, 
rust on Cybertrucks, closing hydrogen stations in California, a torched Waymo robo-taxi, and we've got special guest TJ Campbell, tire testing manager for Tire Rack. All that and more coming up next. Uh, this is episode 338 of Wheel Bearings. I'm Sam Abuel Samich from Guidehouse Insights. I am Nicole Wakeland from The Road Reflected. And I am Roberto Baldwin from SAE International. All three of us. Woo-hoo. Yay! It's a party. Back together. And, um, and well, got to go. Bye. <laughs> We're recording tonight's show a little bit out of sequence because uh, we just finished recording a part that will be at the end of the show, which you want to make sure you stick through the whole thing and listen to the whole show because we've got TJ Campbell, uh, tire testing manager from Tire Rack, uh, joining us tonight. Um, and great conversation with him. But uh, before we get to that, he told us the secret of life, so you should really just... Yeah, uh-huh. absolutely. You have to listen to the whole thing, otherwise you'll miss it. The whole thing. Yeah. Um, Nicole, what have you been driving? Uh, I've been driving the 2024 Honda Passport all-wheel drive trail sport. So I have a nice little SUV. In a, it's really weird. It, the, the, it's gray. It's clearly gray. There's no doubt this is a gray vehicle, yet my... All the stuff that I had said it was blue, and I'm like, "What the heck?" But the Monroni says gray, so I'm like, "There's a few, what? there's a few pigment, flu, few blue pigment particles." Yeah, scattered it was one of those there. like, "Yeah, I'm like, you got me." This isn't blue, guys. This is gray, but I'm going by the Monroni, which says Sonic Gray P Pearl, maybe I don't know Sonic Gray P. Um, so <laughs> this is the Trail Sport, which is their off road version of this but i feel like you got to be clear it's like it's off-road light like you're not really there's so many issues it's like you can go off-road like you can leave paved surfaces and go to not paved surfaces but don't plan on scaling a mountain on your weekend like it's just makes it a little easier when no you one have... should no one no one's so, doing that so, so you're saying no one you in should, their right mind so what you're saying is you, sh- you should take this to the easter jeep safari right Correct. And show up all the Jeeps. Yeah. The Jeeps will be like, man, we've been doing it wrong. Wrangler people are going to feel like losers. Um, Yeah. It's just, so this is the more often has like some drive modes. I want to say it has about just over eight inches of ground clearance is a little extra ground clearance. So it gives you a little bit more, but still this is like off-road light guys. I think a lot of these, the off-road versions of SUVs that we're getting it, it's, you know, everybody wants that SUV that they don't go anywhere. Um, So they come out with these additions that are, Partly substance, but partly looks. And I think it's important for people to really, if you're truly going to go off-road in a vehicle, make sure you know whether your vehicle can do it. Like whatever your whatever off-road means to you, whether that means crawling over rocks or driving on a dirt path to get to your cabin. Make sure you know that the SUV that you get is going to do what you want it to do and not what just the automaker might make you think it's going to do. I feel like people get confused by these so, off-road. So are you saying that just because they put something labeled all-terrain tires on it, that's not necessarily going to be, you know, something that could go down the Rubicon trail. Yes, correct. And I'm not trying to knock ye oldie passport. It's a great little SUV, but it's just like, don't think that because you got the trail sport, which has more, a little bit more capability that it's It's like trail, like a, like a walking trail and you're like wearing sporty clothes. Down a a two track trail to your cabin. It's not for hiking. It's for trailing. Yes. So go. just keep that in mind. And We're going it, and to it a goes, ski hill, you know. A ski hill, right. So yeah, this yeah. will do that for you. Um, I, I, you know, they didn't make a lot of changes with this, but they did. Uh, you know, you do have, I think they said the, revi- the center console is revised on this. So it's a little bit bigger, 
more storage stuff for it, which is always cool because you can never have too much storage in an SUV. Um, I like this because I think it has, it's two rows, but it's still big. Like sometimes you want a large vehicle, but you don't necessarily want the third row, but it's like, well, don't just make it short because you took away my third row. It's like, can I have that extra bit of space back there, pretty please? And this one does it. So it has a lot of, it has a lot of cargo room. I appreciate that. Um, Nice, smooth ride. It's a 3.5 liter V6 with 280 horsepower. Um, It is a nine-speed auto that's kind of kind of good. I find at times it shifted harshly. Like every now and then it's fine, fine, fine. And it's like, whoa, you did not like me that hard. Yeah. Like, ah, but 95, I'm going to go with a solid 95% of the time. It was, it was fine. Um, easily gets up to speed. It's fine on the highway and it's nice and quiet. It does what Honda does. Well, Honda builds reliable, solid sort of like non-controversial vehicles. You know, there's nothing like, well, that's out there. That's weird. Unless you talk about the Civic, nothing out there about this, nothing crazy, nothing design wise that you're, whoa, that's just crazy. It's all something everyone's going to be cool with. Everyone's going to think it looks just fine. Everyone's cool with it. Everyone's cool with it. You're not going to straw. It's like Tom Petty. Everyone loves Tom Petty. Everyone, It's the Tom Petty of automakers. Everyone loves Tom Petty. Everyone loves a Honda, you know. A a wonderful catalog of outstanding songs that the goths, the punks, your mom, the country kids, everyone loves Tom Petty. Much like everybody will love a Honda. Like everyone's going to love it. Your grandma's going to think it's okay. Your kids are going to think it's okay. Everyone's going to think it's okay. So Let's let's circle back to that statement a little later on in the show. <laughs> about Tom Petty? No, about everybody loves a Honda. Okay. Uh, okay. Well, some people love a Honda. Not everybody. Everyone loves not, a Tom Petty. <laughs> everybody everybody yeah. loves Tom oh, Petty. Absolutely. Let's not. Yeah, there's no question about Tom Petty. That. Okay. Um, just just making sure. So, and we have the Trail Sport. It's not the base trim, so you can get this cheaper, but the Trail Sport as equipped the one I have um with all the fees is $52,390. So this one was a little on the higher side of things, but you can get this cheaper than that. You just have to make an effort to get this. Just don't go for this trim. What do you think the destination handling are gentlemen? 1100. Sam. I'm going to go with 1101. Sam wins. It's 1375. Good job, Sam. I was thinking 1295, but I figured that, you know, you'd you'd still do the the price right. Just do the prices right. Yeah. Yeah. So, and the fuel economy, I feel like fuel economy on this is just, Okay. Good it's, enough. It's good. Yeah. <laughs> 21 combined. It's 19 city, 24 highway is what it's rated. So it's. Fine. It's, 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 it's what he said. That sounds Sam made. It's that. So I, you know, I really like, I like the passport and I want to be able, it's, it's funny though. I think the, the middle of the roadness that Hondas have sort of is a disservice here. Cause there's like, why would you get this and not a competitor? Like there's not a thing to say, get this because, you know, you can say, get this, this car because the, it, it you know, toes a ton or get this car because it's really super off-road where they are. It's this the Goldilocks car. car. It just kind of fits everyone, but there's no like one thing to recommend it. But if you like yeah. Hondas, you want that solid, reliable Honda experience. You got 52.3 and you want to go with a two-row all-wheel drive SUV. Passport will do it. Passport. Yeah. Passport. Okay. Robbie, what about you? I've been driving so many things because I was, you know, not it's here. It's a list on this It one. is a Good. list. So I'm going to go through them very quickly. But so you spelled went- Lizax wrong. 
I did spell Blizzax wrong, and then I was like, eh, forget it. It's driving me crazy. I'm... <laughs> hold on, hold on. Boop. He's there you go. We, is that okay. better? Much okay, better. Is that better continue. for you? Go okay. ahead. Now you can continue, Robbie. Thank so you. I went to I went to to Colorado, and I drove the uh, I was at the Bridgestone Snow Mountain School of Ice Winter Driving. Um, <laughs> Brought to you by Bridgestone. Um, and while I was there, I actually drove the Forerunner and the Rav Four, and they were on Blizzax, they were on their All Weathers, and they were on the Potenza All Seasons. And uh, the Forerunner will keep you from killing yourself. That's what I've learned. <laughs> <laughs> Not the Forerunner. I'm sorry, the Rav Four. The, the Rav Four. There, it is just like no, no, no. <laughs> Every time you try to throw a little, throw a little extra uh, power at the wheels, no, no, yeah, you're yeah. not going to die. No, <laughs> it is your parents smacking your hand as you reach for a cookie. We know, we know what kind of surface you're driving on. You can, you, this vehicle can only handle ninety horsepower. That's all we're going to let you have. Just settle down. Uh, the Forerunners, on the <laughs> other hand, uh, were they? They were they were very capable, um, but they would also let you get sideways, which I did. Yeah. Which was fun, um, and of course I was driving on Blizzax and the winter tires, and you know we'll we'll probably talk more. We, we talk more about tires in this episode. We <gasps> do. Later on, exciting. Uh, but I, I will say that um, if you are driving around without uh, in in like the some sort of crazy weather pattern where it's really really cold where you live and it snows and it gets icy and you're not cruising on you know on a at a long stretch of time and you're not driving on winter tires, you're you're really. Um, you're doing yourself a disservice is what I'm saying. You're just white knuckling your whole life when you don't have to. Uh, so, yeah, so that, that, that's that. Uh, then I had to um, pick up and transport some ping pong tables for a party that I was putting on in uh, San Francisco. And because of that, I went and rented the Ford Transit cargo van, the 2500 all-wheel drive. And it was um, – and having driven the e-transit and the e-sprinter – I will say, uh, man, they, these things are so much better as EVs. It's a good, it's a good vehicle. I drove it around. Okay. I enjoyed it, but the EV versions are just so much better, just hands down as as uh, as driving machines. Um, and especially if you're driving, I, I drove these things like a couple hundred, you know, four hundred miles over the course of the forty eight hours that I had it. I did a lot of driving because, yeah. Um, but therein lies the rub because the East Sprinter only has a range of about 127 miles. Yeah, that 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 is the rub for that. But I, you know, for the ones that if you're just driving around town, if I didn't have to drive to Santa Rosa and then turn around and drive back down to Palo Alto in the same day, Ooh, that's a bit of a haul. Yeah, um, then it it, it, would, it would have made more sense for an EV. As I was driving, I was like, well. The, the, the e-transit i would have had i wouldn't have had time to do all this and then i had band practice later that night so it was a it was a fun fun day and when i say fun <laughs> i mean uh, miserable <laughs> it's been raining these are all wheel drive uh no issues at all easy peasy lemon squeezy uh if you have to rent a cargo van these are great um uh, and then i still actually have this vehicle uh the our favorite uh sort of uh, celebration in the street the kia carnival <laughs> so i have the kia carnival i have the uh the do SX, not call it a minivan the yeah. sx prestige so the sex prestige <laughs> uh it is an mpv <laughs> um which is a uh another way for saying 
Uh, it's not a minivan, like like Sam was saying, but really, it's kind of it's a it's a minivan. But it's mini, really it's a, really mini, nice. mini people van. Yeah, it's mini people van or many people van. How about there you that? Go. Many people van, even it's many, many people van. I like many that. Many people vehicle. Um, this is, it has a three point five liter uh, V six eight speed automatic transmission. It drives actually quite nice. It's, it's you know it's. I think we've all talked about how much we like the uh, the Carnival. Um, this one it has the uh, the rear seat that fold that that leans back and the little leg things come up mm-hmm. so you can push it back so it's like super comfy it's like a uh, first class so you have one person who could be real fancy in the back seat of the car i guess maybe you could probably do it in the other seat but you know if i'm driving probably less so um yeah i really like this car uh, even though it's the sx uh because it's kia and because kia and hyundai's uh wireless uh <laughs> wireless carplay and 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 app and uh android auto are just sort of weird um i had to plug it in <laughs> i don't know why don't don't ask me don't it's the the rhyme and read like you know the the trim levels above my kona you have to plug in your your iphone our trim level which is like the second like the sel it's it's wireless i don't know why it doesn't it's it's they, they, something's going to happen. Someone's, someone's figuring something out over, uh, over at the key, Hyundai Motor Group, and uh, hopefully they figure it out pretty soon because it, it's, it is, it's bonkers. It doesn't make any sense. Well, <laughs> like they, the, they, the they, did, they did just show a refreshed version of the Carnival at, at Chicago. They uh, did last week. So perhaps that one will have an updated infotainment system that yeah. addresses some of those issues. It is really. I so saw my cousin. She does real estate. And she's been looking for a car. She had a seven series and it's kind of old, kind of long in the tooth. And she kind of, she got rid of it and she's like kind of shopping. She's looking for an EV, but I still showed her the Carnival. And she's like, wow. I'm like, if you're showing nice people, look how easy it is to get in and out. And (laughs) I'm just out there doing my part, trying to get people to buy multi-people vehicles, many people vehicles. Many people vehicles. Yeah. So the uh the the Kia Carnival uh it starts at $33,600 the one I was driving because it was the Sex Prestige, the SX Prestige um with all the bells and whistles including a uh $500 blue paint job. Well, sure it's nice. Um $49,480, but it feels really really nice inside. And I'm like when I saw the price I was like yeah, I can kind of see that. It's a nice, it's a nice, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, any person vehicle. It's you know, it's not inexpensive, but then again, you know, if you compare it to, uh, you know, the other vehicles in the segment, the Odyssey, the Sienna, the Pacifica, you know, you option those up. I mean, I think the uh, the Pacifica, um, whatever the top trim level is, it's not a platinum, I don't think, but whatever it was that I had a few weeks back. That thing was close to sixty thousand dollars. Isn't it pinnacle? pinnacle. Yes. Pinnacle. Yes. It's the yes. it's the pinnacle one. What's it called? That <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean that was almost sixty grand. Yeah. So it's you know, for, you know, fifty grand for the carnival is not a not a bad deal. Yeah. It's, it's a, yeah. So the the fuel economy is combined twenty two, which is what I pretty much got. Uh, Nineteen city, twenty six highway. You know, it's it's rolling on a V six. It's good. It's a big vehicle. It's not great, but I would like it to be a, a, a the Sienna. I you know haven't haven't driven the Sienna up into the mountains and getting some really you know <laughs> nice uh, 
um, mileage or uh, MPG on that, it kind of spoils you. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, is that all the cars? I think so. I mean, it's all yep, you got the listed. card of all the Ford Transit twenty five hundred, and then the Forerunner and the uh, Rav Four on Blizzax. Those are the things I drove over the last two weeks. There's probably something else I don't remember. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> it's been a whirlwind. Uh, okay. Well, um, I had, uh, the 2024 Audi Q8 e-tron sportback. Um, so last year Audi did a mid-cycle refresh on the original e-tron. Well, not technically the original, but, but the, you know, the, the first e-tron EV, um, you know, which was, uh, kind of fell in between the Q8, Q7, you know, in that size class, um, and actually decided to rebrand it as a Q8 rather than just simple e-tron, uh, because now they have a whole bunch of e-trons. Um, and, you know, they did some mild visual changes to it, nothing too overly dramatic. The, 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 the fascia has been revised, um, the, uh, the, along the sides, the, the molding along the rocker panels is a little bit different than it was before. Um, the one I had was the sport back. So that's, you know, where they, um, you know, slice off the, uh, the rear corner of the roof, uh, you know, give it a bit of a fast back look to it, but it's still the same overall length. Um, and, um, they also did some mechanical updates to it. They updated the battery pack. Uh, so it's got more, more battery in it than it used to. It's now, uh, I think a hundred used to be 92 kilowatt hours is now, I think 114 kilowatt hours. Um, so, it's it's got more range than it did because that was one of the things that disappointed people when the original Q8 or the original e-tron came out in 2018, 19, whatever year it was. Yeah, 2018, I think. I drove it to CES. I th- yeah. Yeah. And yeah, um, I think it's fine. Yeah, uh, maybe it was 19. I think they introduced I it in it, the I... fall of 18 and then uh, launched yeah, it in, in the spring of 19. 19. That makes sense. Yeah, um, but at, at any rate, um, you know. The, the range was only about 204 miles. You know, it was rated at 204 miles. You could actually do a little better than that, you know, in most conditions. Um, but, uh, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't outstanding range, especially compared to Tesla's and some of the other stuff that was starting to come out. So um, the, um, the new one, uh, the updated one, uh, as I said, you know, more battery, uh, more efficient. They changed things into power electronics, new motors. Still has a little over 400 horsepower uh, in the standard version of the uh, of the Q8 e-tron. There is also uh, I think it's I think it's like 406 horsepower. Um, there is also an SQ8 that they've added this year, which I haven't haven't had. That is a three motor version, which is uh, just shy of 500 horsepower. Um, but you know the 400 you know a little over 400 horsepower is is plenty. Uh, you know, this, this vehicle is quick enough. It's, it's a little under five seconds from zero to 60, uh, which is more than fast enough for, for a vehicle like this. That's fine. Where are you going in such a hurry? Right. Um, you know, the, the interior is pretty much unchanged from the previous, uh, version. Uh, so you still have the, the dual screen, the dual touch screens in the center stack. Um, and it's a haptic touch screen. So when you're using the standard Audi interface, you you actually have to it's not just tapping on an icon on the screen to make something happen you actually have to press it a little bit and you and you feel a little 
you feel a little haptic feedback. You feel a little, a little click. feedback. Yeah. yeah. response. <laughs> yes. Um, so the, so that you know that it registered the fact that you touched it. Um, and it works fine. You know, it, it's, it's, you know, it's not, it's not the greatest system in the world, but it's, it's reasonably responsive. It, it never crashed on me, never had a black screen, never did anything really bad. Uh, did all so the things it's supposed to do. It did it made the that things clicky it's noise. supposed to do. Yep. Um, you got, uh, uh, 9.6 kilowatt uh, onboard AC charging, uh, along with the changes to the battery and the power electronics. They also bumped up the DC fast charge capability from 150 to 170 kilowatts. Um, and one of the things about the e-tron from the beginning, um, you know, they had pretty good um, thermal management on the battery, so they were able to maintain the the 100. Like if you got you know a, a suitably working charger you could get it to actually stay at 150 kilowatts, you know, well past 50, you know, you know, almost 60% state of charge before it started to ramp down. And even at, at 80% state of charge, it would still be going, you know, um, 80, you know, 75, 80 kilowatts. Uh, so, you know, it actually would charge reasonably faster than you might expect, uh, you know, faster than some vehicles that have a higher peak charging rate, um, but that don't maintain that for very long. So, uh, so getting a charge out of it, like I said, if you find a properly working CCS charger, uh, then, uh, then, you know, that works great. Um, you know, this had, um, you know, all of the usual Audi features The The one I was driving was actually the, uh, the launch edition, uh, which is, it's the prestige launch edition. So basically it has everything. There's like very few options. Um, you know, this one, um, yeah, the from the base model, which starts at seventy-seven thousand eight hundred dollars, you know, six hundred bucks for the Daytona gray pearl effect paint, um, <laughs> which is you know it's gray, it's gray, uh, it's and gray, the, <laughs> uh, which also comes with a flint gray interior. Ooh, um, the, more the, gray. <laughs> yeah, um, ten thousand four hundred for the prestige package. The launch edition is another thirty-seven fifty. Uh, and then this one also had, um, the AC charging package, um, which gets you, uh, up to actually up to 19 kilowatts AC charging and gives you uh, a second wow. charging port on the, uh, the passenger side, um, for, for AC charging. Um, and, uh, and then the rear side airbags for another 400 bucks, the launch edition, uh, one of the, the things that is unique about the launch edition, uh, is you get these 22-inch six-segment uh, spoke design wheels that look really nice, um, but <laughs> uh, you know the the base models you know are ride on 20-inch wheels. So you know, looking at the Monroni for this Q8 e-tron, uh, it lists the uh, the range as 296 miles, which is substantially better than the than the original e-tron. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it's, it's quite acceptable for, for a vehicle like this. Um, but, uh, looking, when I looked at fueleconomy.gov and looked, you know, da- 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 downloaded the data and everything, you know, in many cases, in most cases for vehicles that offer multiple wheel sizes, they will actually do separate certifications for each wheel combination so that you get the, the right range estimates for that wheel. And usually almost inevitably, you know, when you get larger wheels, your range estimate goes down. Um, Audi only did this for, you know, they only did the Q8 and the SQ8. 
um, presumably with the base tires, uh, did not certify this with the 22-inch wheels. Uh, uh. And mm-hmm. so, you know, when I unplugged it with a full charge, it was showing 250 miles of range as opposed to 296. Uh, and when I went out and did my, my usual test loop, which is a mix of uh, highway, urban, suburban driving, um, it got it averaged 2.5 miles per kilowatt hour, which is not great. Mm. Um, it's, you know, frankly, you know, it's, it's on the low end of, of what I would expect, but you know, that does, you know, more or less work out to about that, uh, two, roughly 250 mile range. So if you get, you know, a QAD Tron with 22 inch wheels, you know, you will not, I can pretty much guarantee that unless you're a real hypermiler, you're not going to get 296 miles of range out of it. You're <laughs> going to get somewhere closer to 250. Um, which is, again, it's not bad, but, and it's certainly better than, than it was, you know, in 2019, but it's not, not outstanding, you know, especially considering what else you can get in the marketplace. Um, and, um, you know, altogether, this came out to, uh, $95,990. So not just 10 bucks shy of $96,000. Uh, you want to take guess, guesses on the delivery charge? 1100 1101. Nicole wins. 1195. Hey. Oh, <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, that was close. <laughs> yeah, it was. Um, so, um, you know, the, the, this, you know, this is a, a really nice vehicle. You know, is it worth a hundred grand? Mm. You know, I mean, you know, there's, there's some, a lot of stuff you can get that is arguably, you know, just as nice, you know, for 15, $20,000 less. You know, mm. like including EVs, like the uh, Genesis GV70 electrified. Um, although the GV70 EV has a little bit shorter range than this, um, so there is that. It does charge faster, though. Um, you know, and you know, it's not going to cost you ninety-five. You know, I think I, I do like the Q80 Tron. You know, I would probably go actually with just the the base model for seventy-eight thousand. If I was if I was getting one, I don't know that I would necessarily spend almost $20,000 more than that or $18,000 more than that. Uh, but um, aside from that, you know, it, it drives really, it drives like an Audi, you know, um, it, it's, it's not a lightweight vehicle, but you know, it doesn't feel as heavy as it is. Uh, I think this thing weighs about 55, 5,600 pounds. Uh, so, you know, it, it, you know, it's got good ride quality, even on the 22 inch wheels. Um, although I, I tried to be very careful to avoid any potholes because, <laughs> you know, it, you know, those low profile tires, not, wheels? They, they, yeah, they don't, they don't like potholes. Um, and it was on winter tires too, as well. So that also would have affected the range a bit. So, you know, if it was on, if it was on, you know, summer tires, you know, driving in, in warmer temperatures, you know, it actually probably could have gotten maybe 260, 265. Um, so on winter tires and cold weather, you know, 250. Um, and, uh, I say, if you go with the, the 20 inch wheels, the standard 20 inch wheels, you'll get a lot closer to that 296 or even, even beyond that. Get the smaller wheels, get the smaller (laughs) wheels. 20 inch wheels are still very large wheels. They're very large. Yeah. 22. Yeah. Get the smaller wheels. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Did you know you can support Wheelbearings directly? Head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia and you can become a patron today. Your contributions will help fund the platforms and tools we use to bring the podcast to you. And exclusives and improvements are already on the way thanks to your generosity. So if you want to be part of an automotive podcast like no other, head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia. Let us talk about uh, the Chevy Equinox EV, uh, which now has official pricing and official range. Um, and um, so the Equinox EV is going to start, uh, as we learned a few months ago, not at $30,000 or under $30,000, uh, but at about $35,000. Are we surprised by that even remotely? So more. No. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no. The cheap EV as promised is not the cheap EV as promised. Shock. Well, there's the bolt. Oh, wait. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, So, um, you know, we still don't have an on-sale date for the Equinox EV. Um, You know, it should arrive (laughs) soon-ish, maybe. (laughs) That's a really Congress. So what Sam said, should arrive soon Soonish, maybe. So put that on your calendars, people. Well, you know the 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 thing is, um, you know the Equinox EV is riding on the same platform as the Blazer EV, which Chevrolet cannot sell right now because it's got so many software problems that you know it just breaks in people's hands, Uh, which is just bad. Yeah, Um, and so they're not they're not delivering Blazers until they fix the software problems, and we don't know when that's going to be fixed. Um, and presumably the Equinox has the same software stack in it. Um, and so, you know, it's unlikely to be delivered until they fix whatever's wrong with the Blazor software, uh, mm-hmm. which hopefully will be sometime in the next couple of months, maybe. Fingers uh, crossed. I yeah. believe in you, GM. You can do this. Come on, GM, do it. <laughs> Woohoo, go GM, uh, go. Hire uh, some nerds on, and get to it. <laughs> uh, on the plus side... Um, the front-wheel drive Equinoxes do have an EPA-estimated range of 319 miles. Bam! Um, which for you know, that's starting nice. at 35 grand, that's it's actually yeah. really good. Mm-hmm. It's really good. You Not know. the cheap car, but also you know, yeah. Now you can go 319 miles. Um, and the the high-end uh, 3RS trim level for the Equinox um, will go for $46,795. So $47,000 for an Equinox. Oof. Yeah. Um, and and the, the base 1LT is the only one that's under the $40,000 mark. The 2LT starts at $43,295. Uh, all those prices include the destination charge. Um, and GM uh, expects that the Equinox, by the time they get the Equinox EV to dealers, it will be eligible for the $7,500 tax credit. Uh, so right. that, you know, that helps. You got, you got that going for you. So but you it's get still it. 400 volt. It still only charges at 150. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of a bummer. 150. Um, it, is, uh, it is the uh, same 
Uh, it's an 85 kilowatt hour battery pack, so it's a 10 module battery pack, so two modules less than what you get in a Blazer. But because it's a little smaller and lighter, um, it will get more range than a Blazer. Um, and there's also um, the all-wheel drive variants. So the, the front drive models get 212 horsepower. Um, and then the all-wheel drive is the same setup that's in the Blazer all-wheel drive, 288 horsepower, 346 pounds-feet of torque. Um, and uh, that cuts the estimated range to 285 miles. Um, still good. So, yeah, still yeah. still very good. Anything above 250, you're just like, yeah, yeah, yeah that's fine. <laughs> yeah, so range, range is not going to be an issue uh, with this thing. And, you know, like the other GM vehicles, you know, that are coming out now, GM has finally learned their lesson about, you know, including driver assist systems as standard. So there's going to be lots of that stuff that's all standard, even on the base 1LT model. So, you know, you, you might want to go with that $35,000 model, you know, with the cloth seats, but you still get lots of features on it. It still has you know, the big 11-inch uh, center touchscreen um, and 11-inch digital instrument cluster. You got adaptive cruise control and a bunch of other stuff, you know. And and now, you know, you can get the um, the $7,500 tax credit as a point-of-sale tax credit. Uh, Yay. If, you find, if you go to a dealer that is registered with the IRS. Uh, so, you know, $27,000, which is not bad. You know, you don't have to That's wait around till, till next year's tax return to get right. your money back. Um, and you know, even the 150 kilowatt charging is not, not bad. You can add 70 miles of range in 10 minutes, um, and under ideal conditions. Um, so, you know, it, it looks like a, a very promising vehicle if they can ever, you know, actually deliver them. Well, you know, if they just get the <laughs> software fixed and then deliver them, it'll be fine. Yeah. That's and, you know, just, and, and just... if they can actually assemble the battery packs, you know, yeah. sure. if you get all the things fixed and then deliver it, that's fine. It's fine. Oh, sorry, I misspoke. It's not an 11-inch infotainment screen. It's a 17.7-inch screen, which is the same one that's in the Blazer. So this is a very large center touch screen. That's where your $5,000 is going. Yeah, yeah. Well, even, yeah. <laughs> even Even in the base model, you get that. So in the 1LT, you, you get that as well. So that that sure. is the... Uh, <laughs> The giant screens at this point, I'm like, sure, whatever. It whatever, biggest I, screen you can possibly I don't, I don't find. really need, for the most part, I don't really need a screen that big to know that I got to turn left in a quarter of a mile. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, another item that came out of GM in the past week is um, another expansion of Super Cruise. Um, so GM recently announced that they were killing Ultra Cruise, which was their next generation system, which was supposed to be able to run, you know, do, you know, point to point, hands free driving, you know, in city streets and, you know, all kinds of other conditions, um, you know, on about two miles, two million miles of uh, North American roads. That's gone. That's done. But they are continuing to expand Super Cruise availability, which, um, I talked with uh, with the the uh, chief engineer for Super Cruise and the uh, uh, head of their their mapping program, um, and what they're doing is they're going to be doing quarterly updates starting uh, in the next few weeks with the first one, uh, adding about forty thousand miles. Right now, they have uh, about four hundred over four hundred thousand miles uh, available where you can drive Super Cruise, including like two lane rural roads. Um, you know, I. I Tried it on the Cadillac Escalade a month or so ago and worked really well. Um, 
so they're going to be adding about 40,000 miles every quarter until they get to 750,000 miles uh, in third quarter of 2025. Uh, which nice. is a lot of miles. That is that a is, lot. That is a lot of miles. Um, so, you know, the way the way Dave Craig, the uh, their head of maps, uh, described it, you know, um, you know, currently, you know, originally it was set up to do city to city driving. Uh, you know, now they're they're going to be able to do town to town driving. You know, on these sort of secondary um, rural roads, um, and they're working with their map provider, um, Dynamic Map Platform. You know, they um, what they did was they you know had them go out and do a sampling of all kinds of different roads in uh, in southeast Michigan uh, to start with, and then they have their engineers go out and test the system on these different kinds of roads to see you know where does it work you know where is it suitable, um, and then classifying those roads, and then uh, DMP you know has gone back and mapped all those roads nationwide um, that fit those categories. And then they'll be adding those gradually to the to the maps over the next year and a half. Two eventually be I super duper great. cruise, yeah, but not ultra. Extra I think that's cruise. great. I like to see them adding extra stuff to it, making it more usable. Yeah, and then calling it super duper. I'm just saying. And calling it super duper probably. <laughs> that's a free one. That's that. a free one, GM. You can use that super duper cruise. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, let's see, Iona. Um, launched uh, since we last talked. Yes. Um, and do you know what Iona is? It's seven automakers, one mission. It's like Voltron, Ooh. but for charging. You're, you're you're looking at the website, right? <laughs> yeah, but I also wrote about it. <laughs> yeah, okay. But I did look at the website. That, that is the tagline <laughs> on the website. That literally is what it says. <laughs> yeah, but it's not not the Voltron part. The seven automakers. It one should mission. say the Voltron part. That would be it the best. Be Voltron part. of charging. Came together as a Voltron and st- yeah, <laughs> like all these parts fly together, and then it's just a charging station, <laughs> and it works. I mean, that that would just be fine. So yeah, the 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 new charging network that was announced last summer by uh, um, Hyundai, Kia, GM, um, Honda, uh, Mercedes Benz, Stellantis, and BMW. Uh, build, they're going to build at least 30,000 DC fast chargers across the U.S. and Canada uh, by over the next several years. And uh, it's it's called Iona. Seth Cutler is the uh, uh, the CEO of the company. Um, and they expect to have their first chargers deployed uh, sometime this year. So they're diving right into it. I would Anyone like to, I, oh, I, sorry, I'm hoping on. I would like to see it happen more quickly. Like it doesn't say how quickly all this Come is going to happen. Come on. Like Let's in five on, minutes guys. or in five years. Yeah. Well, with DC, we, DC fast we know charging, by like at some point there'll be a bunch of them. <laughs> yeah. DC, DC fast charging always takes longer than AC charging because you know you got to find sites that have the power. If they don't have the power enough power, then you got to get the power. You got to get local permits. utilities. You got to fight with permits. the permits. You got to fight with everybody in town. Yeah. I don't uh, want that near my house. It'll give me. And I get all that, but I still want it to happen sooner rather than later. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like I would like, like all we're these, now. these. We're gonna have one in six months. Yeah. Can we make these now, please? Mm-hmm. That would be great. Just do it now. Thanks. Thanks, you're a doll. Um all right. Uh stick sticking with chargers. Um, the uh the folks at uh, out of spec 
um, they you know they they do a lot of stuff with EVs and, and charging. They do a lot of interesting charging tests with different EVs, um, and uh, they recently um, put out uh, one of their most recent videos earlier this week or a few days ago. Um, they uh, went and tested um, one of the latest uh, Tesla Magic Dock superchargers, uh, which have now been bumped up to 500 amps capability. Um, and they, they tested it with, uh, I think, with the Kia EV9. Um, and they found that they're still having some interoperability issues. I mean, wah, wah. last year, what? you know, when we talked. I thought all chargers are going to be perfect. And uh, you know, when when automakers first started announcing they were going to support superchargers and switch to the NAX connector, um, you know, we talked about this. We said, you know, hey, you know, a lot of still a lot of software issues, you know, to be dealt with. Yeah, because you know, Cause it hard. works great in the Tesla ecosystem because it's Tesla talking to Tesla about Tesla. Tesla. Yeah. <laughs> now they mm-hmm. got to talk to Kia about Tesla and Kia and Tesla and Tesla and Kia. And it's Tesla. lost in translation. Yeah, exactly. Um, and uh, yeah, so you know, he they they're still you know either now you know it was either not charging or charging much slower than expected. So um, you know, I think we're going to see more of this at, over the next six eight months as uh, uh, automakers start rolling out their software updates to. And and the adapters to allow them to allow CCS EVs to charge off of uh, um, superchargers. I think we're we're going to start seeing more of these complaints that, oh, I thought Tesla superchargers were supposed to be so reliable. Well, you know, they're they're reliable if you're charging a Tesla. Right. Any, yeah. Anything else? Eh, maybe not so uh, much. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a start. I feel like it's a start, but it's like this is it's not going to it's not going to work. Much like I want everything to work. For the charging network for Iona, uh, yeah. it's going to take some time too. Oh yeah. Um. All right. Cyber trucks. Uh, well, you you guys have any stainless steel appliances or stainless steel pots and pans? I do. Are uh, they completely I'm, stainless? I'm just... uh, I don't know. Are they, Sam, or is there? Well, stuff I don't know. You tell. I'm, I'm asking you. I mean, I feel like uh, they're they're stainless. Are, they, they are there say any blemishes stainless. on them? Um. No, they get fingerprints from my husband because he's a slob, but my stainless steel appliances are otherwise just fine. <laughs> he has fingerprints? You burn yours off? <laughs> he makes it all, he makes fingerprints all over them. You know, stainless steel, uh, you need to clean it all the time. Doesn't, 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 doesn't grind them off every morning? No. Mm-mm, no. Uh, mm, yeah. Stupid husbands. <laughs> oh, well. Um, uh, you know, the, the, thing, the thing with stainless steel, you know, it's like any other steel, any other metal. You know, there. It's generally not. You know, there's not just one thing that is stainless steel. You know, stainless steel refers to a whole range of steel alloys that are. You know, it's steel which is iron mixed with carbon. That's that's what steel is. And then you add a bunch of other stuff in there that helps to change the properties of the metal. You know, to make it either tougher or more ductile. You know, so you can bend it. Um, but also, you know, in the case of stainless steels, you know, they try to make it more resistant to corrosion, things like that, you know, or staining. Um, but none of them are actually completely 100% totally rust proof. 
mm-hmm. um, especially if you leave them entirely uncoated, not even a clear coat or anything. And um, apparently Cybertruck owners are starting to notice this because they're starting to see all kinds of strange marks and corrosion mm. and stuff on their stainless steel body panels. It's just such a weird idea. I don't, I, I feel like I just want to keep, I, I feel like a broker and record. Like you make a few of them that are the stainless steel, but then you make a bunch of them that are like, this is how you make a car, like regular people make a car and you make it look like the cyber truck without all the other stuff. Yeah. And then you can make 20,000, 80,000, a hundred thousand a year. But so, instead, yeah. they're like, we got proprietary stainless steel. And, okay. So so if you're going to get a Cybertruck, you might want to consider getting it, at least getting it wrapped or, you know, getting a paint protection film on there, um, you know, to keep it from looking really gross within a few months after. And it's funny, there's, um, turns out there's a lot of uh, interesting instructions in the owner's manual for the Cybertruck about caring for your and cleaning the the exterior of the Cybertruck. Like, to prevent damage to the exterior, immediately remove corrosive substances such as grease, oil, bird droppings, tree resin, dead insects, tar spots, road salt, uh, industrial fallout, etc. Do Industrial not wait. <laughs> fallout? Where are you driving? Okay, go ahead. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, it's a Cybertruck that's meant for the post-apocalyptic time. So that's true. Could, you know, so there could be industrial fallout. It, it could 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 be literal nuclear fallout. Who knows? <laughs> but but it says, do not wait until Cybertruck is due for a complete wash. Uh, if if necessary, use denatured alcohol to remove tar spots and stubborn grease stains, then immediately wash the area with water and a mild non-detergent soap to remove the alcohol. And it goes on. There's all kinds of things, you know, that it tell like they tell Thanks. you that, you know, you shouldn't leave it parked outside. Uh it's a truck. Of course you're gonna park it outside. Well if it rains. <laughs> It's such a, I, I, gosh, I just, I don't know. I, I just, at this point, I'm just like, oh, yeah. fine. <laughs> I've just become so fine. like, <laughs> fine. I mean, people want to buy a big expensive truck that's not really a truck that's, yeah, you know, just wipe it down every day with a baby diaper <laughs> and some alcohol and then use some non, you know, detergent you know, soap to give it a nice little shine or wrap it. Yeah. Wrap, wrapping. It's probably the thing to do. And, and who knows, yeah. you know, maybe it, that, I mean, Tesla does Dip it in wax. Wrap from the like factory. they used to, you know, these, the store bells when they would ship them back in mm-hmm. the olden times, they dip them in wax. So oh, they yeah. like not, rust and stuff. I didn't know this. How do you know this? Because I'm a nerd, Nicole. I'm like, how do you have this little fact stashed away? I'm impressed. I have a right? lot of stupid nerdy facts stashed <laughs> in this dumb brain of mine. None of them are actually helpful. Like, I can't go get a house with this. I can't be like, so we need you to fill out this loan. Well, do you know in the olden days when they used to ship bells, they would dip them in wax, like a beeswax, and then put them in a box. And Sir, this is a bank. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> You don't care about the bells, but thanks They're for the like, tip. Yeah, thanks for the tip, weirdo. Don't give him money. <laughs> yeah, that guy's a lunatic. Don't loan him anything. <laughs> uh, all right. Um, enough Enough Cybertruck nonsense. Um, so um, have you, have, Robbie, have you ever used one of the hydrogen stations in California to fuel up a hydrogen fuel cell vehicle? 
Have you? I have. I have as well. I have used it as well. Typically, I go to the one in Emeryville because it's connected to the bus station and all the buses use hydrogen. So that one's always sort of that one's typically working. Is that one a shell station? No, no, it's just, I don't know what it is. Okay. It's just a yeah. station. It's just a station next to the bus depot. Like there's a big fence around the bus depot. So mm-hmm. people don't go in and steal buses. And then there's like a little carve out and a little itty bitty drive, like a little, <laughs> like you, you drive up. It's like it, you, you, it carves out maybe 30, 40 feet in. And there's just a little itty bitty, uh, like it's almost like a little, almost like a little roundabout that you just pull in, you charge your, you put your hydrogen in your car and you pull back out into the road. It doesn't even look like it. You just drive it. If you didn't know it was there, you just drive by it. You would never have any idea. <laughs> yeah, it's it's teeny tiny. But well, I have seen the Shell station in San Francisco that has it. Yeah, well, that it's closed now. <laughs> <laughs> Not anymore. So don't. You don't have to see it. <laughs> there, there, there are now seven fewer hydrogen stations in California. And according to the Alternative oh. Fuels Data Center, uh, there are a grand total of 52 hydrogen filling stations oh. in the United States. In the whole um, country, there's 52. And yes, all of them are in California. All of them in California. Yeah. It was, yeah. I, I just remember getting all these emails like five, 10 years ago. There's going to be 127 by mm. the end of this year. And mm. then one, and then it's like the next year, there's going to be 116 by the end of this year. And then one would close. And then the next year, <laughs> there's going to be 78 by the end of, and it's, yeah. Yeah, I guess chicken, uh, chicken egg. Yeah, Shell, Shell has decided that the, Supply problems they've been having getting hydrogen and the maintenance problems with their their dispensers are just too much to deal with. It's too much hassle and it's not worth not worth the effort anymore. So they have decided to get out of the hydrogen distribution business in in the U.S. And so they uh, announced last week that they were immediately closing their seven hydrogen stations in California. So that's a bummer. Fifty two left. Mostly in, the, mostly in the Bay Area, um, yeah. Los Angeles area, San Diego, Sacramento, and and um, uh, near Lake Tahoe. There's one. If you have a Mariah in the Bay Area or a Nexo, just um, just go to the Emeryville station, like I do. Okay, <laughs> it's your only yeah. option now. <laughs> There's some other ones, but that that one seems to always be working. They yeah, know they're... if they have that car, they already they don't need my advice. Yeah, um, yeah. There's there's. Uh, the the one that I've used um, closest to you probably is um, in uh, uh, like near Mill Valley, near, near Mill Valley, just oh, off the yeah, one on one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I've used that one uh, once or twice, and then uh, I've used a couple down in the uh, South Bay area near San Jose. And there's a That's bunch. That's a of bummer. There. Yeah, it is. Oh well. Um, let's see. Next up. Um, <laughs> Oh, well, let's (laughs) sticking with San Francisco. Hey, I live there. Well, there near there. Uh, Last week, um, as part of the uh, the Lunar New Year celebrations in San Francisco, uh, a crowd crowd decided to uh, torch a Waymo robo taxi. Just because, uh, just like because. So, so I, I'm curious, so, like what happens before this? That's like what why, I know. I, I don't, because it drove into Chinatown. Chinatown's like crazy busy, so it decides yeah. to drive into a very crowded area with a bunch of people. But it wasn't I, the only car in the area. There were other cars but, in the street. Yeah, but they had people. Yes. <laughs> no, like the, not to bump into somebody. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I, I saw. Like, the, I don't know if it bumped into anyone or not, but I don't, I don't think it did. I think the crowd. 
just gathered around it, you know, and it stopped. Um, and then somebody jumped up on the hood and, and then bounced himself off the windshield and shattered the windshield. Um, and then somebody else shattered one of the, the side windows. And, you know, because it was a Lunar New Year celebration, um, you know, there was fireworks around. I, I don't know that they actually intended to torch this thing, but somebody tossed a firework, a lit firework, into the car. Fortunately, there, was, there were no passengers in it. But it was they going tossed... to pick somebody up, but it, it went yeah. that the, the, the worst way. Like, I wouldn't drive down that road on that day. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know. It, it, it should have picked a, a different route, but, yeah. You know. But if you look at, you know, I like the picture at the top of this because the top, the bottom half of the car, fine. <laughs> I know. It's a weird well, image, like, right? Well, I'm like, well, this, I, would buy this, I would buy this Jaguar convertible is what I'm saying. <laughs> well, there, if you if you see later pictures, you know, I mean, this this is while the, the firefighters were still working on it. Oh, later it's pictures, like, it's basically down to the battery. Uh, oh, it's bummer. done. Yeah, because, oh, wow. you know, it, it's all all gone. Um you but, basically you see the skateboard and that's like it. Aww. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's that San Francisco has a very volatile relationship with these self-driving cars because they yeah. do insane things that put your life in danger. And then the the state was like, "Yeah, you gotta let these drive around without people in it." And the city and the people living were like, "No." And uh, you know, it's gonna be and obviously this. You know, what? Well, I'm not obviously. This could have been businessmen. You know, wearing skateboarding. It's San Francisco. Who knows? Yeah. Um, <laughs> But yeah, yeah. Well, you know. But I, I would suggest, you know, if you want to disable one of these, just put a traffic cone on the hood. You don't need just to put the traffic cone. You, you don't need to torch it, and particularly because these are electric vehicles, you really don't want to be just torching these. That's things. a really crowded yeah. street too. I mean, if you look yeah. at the pictures, those streets are so tight. Yeah, such a China dangerous now. thing. Yeah. And, unfortunately, like if you're eating in that little alcove right there. <laughs> Yeah. That little spot you're having, you're like, you're eating your food, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, that car's on fire. Um, can we go inside? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, the fortunately the battery on this Jaguar I Pace did not ignite. Um, you know, they got the fire put out before it got to that stage. But you know, since these these are generally all electric vehicles, you know, or or at least you know plug-in hybrids, um, you know, these things have big batteries in them. And that's something, you know, especially if you got a big crowd around, you don't want to be setting those things on fire. Not a good thing. Take, San Francisco has hard a, to extinguish we, a battery fire. We love blowing things up. <laughs> love it. The fires, anytime we win a big sporting event, I would go around with my, with my Vespa and a camera and just take pictures of things on fire. <laughs> right. Like they do in the middle of the road. You have like big bonfires. Everyone's partying, having a good time. But occasionally, a Waymo show up. <laughs> oh, my God. We are party people. We love it's a good fire. That's not the way to party. Don't set stuff on fire. We love a good fire in San Francisco. I mean, I'm know, not saying I, it's good. I'm just I, saying we do. I don't know why. Yeah, I, I, have, I have no issue with people protesting these things. I mean, if you don't want them around, that's that's perfectly legit. But maybe but, don't light them on fire. Yeah. Don't just, blow them up. Yeah. Because you're going to hurt somebody. Yeah. You, what did What did you do? Did you stop Waymo? They Google. Oh no, this was like nothing. Like and 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 the and and a point two seconds, they've made more money than what this thing cost them to build. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Google's fine. You're not hurting anyone at Google by burning this thing down. Yeah. You're putting mm -hmm. you're putting firefighters at risk. You're putting the people in that crowd at risk. Yep. Know? Um. So just you know don't. Don't do it. There's, there's better be ways to protest. <laughs> Don't be stupid. Exactly. Don't be stupid. Yeah. Uh, all right. 
Um, sparklers. Get sparklers. <laughs> last one for this week um, is uh, Stellantis. Um, you know, prior to the prior to Fiat Chrysler and PSA merging to form Stellantis, Fiat Chrysler bought several billion dollars worth of uh, EV tax credits or EV EV credits, um, carbon credits from Tesla. Um, they spent a lot of money on those things, you know, so that they could make their uh, their Zev their Zev mandate requirements without actually having to build and sell so many EVs. Um, but um, that was, you know, that was an expensive solution. Um, and now, you know, as part of Stellantis, apparently Carlos Tavares, Tavares, the CEO of Stellantis, has decided, no, we're done buying tax or buying EV credits. Um, it says uh, he, uh, he is not allowing the automaker to ever buy a single credit, according to- Ever Tim, again. Ever again, said Tim Kaniscus, the CEO of the Dodge and Ram brands. So, um, you know, Stellantis will, that is, you know, I mean, they're about to launch a whole bunch of EVs uh, in the next 12 months, uh, including, you know, the 500, the new 500E that's, that's coming any day now. Um, and, uh, and then the Jeep Wagoneer S and the Recon and the, the Charger and all kinds of other stuff. So um, they're, they've decided no more credits. So that's, it's going to be interesting to see to watch Tesla's financial statements over the next year or two to see um, if they find other buyers for all those credits they have. Cause that's been a, a good source of income and, and profit margins for Tesla mm-hmm. uh, yeah. over the last five, six years. So, yeah, that's, I mean, good on Stellantis for like saying, know. you know, just do the thing we're supposed to be doing. How about exactly. that? Exactly. Yeah. Just do what we're supposed to do instead of trying to work around the system. Just do it. Instead of throwing money out the window. Let's just do the thing we're supposed to do. Yeah, that's a good thing. Yep. All right. Um, anything else uh, you guys have that you want to talk about, or we good? Don't light things none. on fires. Yeah. Pro tip: <laughs> Don't light things on fire. Don't light right. things on fire. It's just fire. It's good for cooking. It's good for cooking. <laughs> <laughs> if you're in a cave and you need light, sure. Uh, but you're just out in the street having a nice time. Maybe get some sparklers. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. And, but whatever you do, do not throw them inside of a car with a broken window. Oh, yeah. Don't throw them inside of cars. They, no. they can ignite cars, stuff. Cars and all like, all cars and fire, they don't mix. No. <laughs> There's some stuff they boom, boom, boom in doesn't there. matter if it's gas, electric, diesel. Yeah. Gas, electric, mm-hmm. diesel. Not, not a good mix. I bad didn't, call. Yeah. Yeah. Bad, not a good <laughs> This right. has been your pro tip this week from the Will Bearing crew. <laughs> <laughs> don't light your car on fire. <laughs> All right. Um, well, that's it then. Um, we now have our conversation with TJ Campbell, the uh, manager of uh, tire testing at Tire Rack. Um, great conversation, and I uh, hope you enjoy it. And we will talk to you next time. Bye. 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 Don't light things on fire. All right. We have a special guest joining us today, uh, Mr. TJ Campbell from uh, this little company called Tire Rack that you might have heard of. Uh, TJ, welcome to the show. Um, start off, tell us, what what do you do at Tire Rack? You, you, you probably just, you're one of those guys that just, you know, put, mounts tires on the on the rims, right? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, I'm taking, slinging tires down in the, down in the retail bay. Uh, first, hello, everybody. Thank you so much for having me here. 
Uh, I actually get to do a lot of really cool stuff at the tire rack. Uh, of course, I do you know interviews like this. I give interviews for Nicole at her other gig. You know, she's used me as a source several times. Yeah. I get to give presentations to you know car clubs. I've I've done you know Porsche Club, Tesla Club, uh, Vintage V8 Motor Club. You know, just uh, I get to do those kinds of things. I, I act as a general knowledge source for you know for journalists and 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 others and then of course at the tire rack i'm also kind of the um repository of tire related information if anybody needs it uh, but more importantly in my mind i guess let's not say more importantly but in addition to that more excitingly i'm responsible for our tire testing uh, the whole program from determining what vehicles we're using, what tires we're testing, you know, what the competitive sets are. And then I get to do the actual driving as well. And, you know, evaluating all the, the associated output, the test reports, that sort of thing. Um, and of course I have a, a very small team that works with me, but that that's kind of, it's my baby. It's my prime responsibility. So before we go on, um, for those who might not be familiar with Tire Rack, tell us a little bit about what Tire Rack is. Of course, absolutely. I guess at its you know its most basic core level, we are a primarily online retailer of tires. But of course, Tire Rack is for those who know Tire Rack is so much more than that. We don't just want to sell tires. We don't want to just sell any tire that we have in stock that fits. We want to sell the right tire for every driver, for how you drive, where you drive, what you drive, what your priorities are. And in order to help facilitate that, you know, we don't just take manufacturers, marketing fluff, you know, what <laughs> every tire manufacturer, when they come out with a new tire, it's the greatest thing ever, you know, and sometimes it's, oh, it's better than our predecessor by X percent, or sometimes it's better than tire A in the wet and tire B in the dry and tire C in the, you know, in the snow. And so there's a lot of, you know, or there can be a lot of creative ways of talking about your tires attributes. And nobody wants to introduce a new product and say, it's, you know, it's all right. It's fine. So <laughs> that's, you know, that's, that's not what marketing departments do. So we compare tires to their logical competitive set. We, you know, when tire A or manufacturer A comes out with a new ultra high performance all season tire, we will compare that new tire to the tires that are likely to be cross shops you know the most popular tires in that performance category in that you know market tier level um so we make the manufacturers put their you know money where their mouth is the proof is in the in the tire and so we we compare and we evaluate and we learn how tires perform in order to again help ensure that we get the right tire for the right driver tj do you literally test every single tire that's out there like or there's some that you just say yeah we're not we're not carrying those or we're not testing those because there's a lot of tires out there you're right and we do only carry or i'm sorry we only test tires that we carry and the reason or one of the reasons for that is that the you know kind of the purpose of our testing in addition to saying we are the tire experts and we're the performance specialists and all that kind of stuff you know at its core the reason for our testing is to help make or help our customers 
and those who just come to our website to do research uh, is to help those people make an informed decision. And uh, like I said, it's geared towards our customers. So we don't test products that we don't carry. Now, of course, another part of my job is, you know, I get to test, you know, super secret prototype tires, things mm -hmm. that we're thinking about carrying, but we don't things that are, you know, three to five years up the road or down the road, you know, that will be in the market. Um, so those kinds of things, yes, we do test those. Um, you know, if there's a new hot performance tire, as an example, you know, we'll we'll test it even if we don't carry it, just to see where it stands. Uh, but that kind of stuff never sees the light of day. So, so yes, the things that get published are only products we carry. So, would you ever test a tire like that you're considering carrying and have a reason why you'd you'd test it and think mm, maybe and go, no way, we're not carrying this tire? Oh, absolutely. That that what? has happened a lot. <laughs> And what would make you say that? Like what kind of, what has to go wrong in the testing to say, no, this isn't worthy of tire rack? You know, most often what it will be just in the scope of our testing is wet traction. There absolutely have been tires that, you know, it's a, uh, one that comes to mind. And of course I won't name, name names, but it was a few years ago. It was, you know, a three peak mountain snowflake branded all seat or grand touring tire. So an all weather tire as, as they're commonly called. And it was from a manufacturer that we carry most of their products. And they said, Hey, this isn't a part of your current lineup. We'd like you to carry it. And, you know, our buying team said, you know, maybe we could make a business case for this. We have some other tires that kind of fit that space, but if it's good, sure. So they say, hey, TJ, will you please test these? And so our team tested it. And yeah, the the, the wet traction was just diabolical. <laughs> and so, wow. Yeah. So the answer was no, tire rack should like... not carry this tire. And, and you know, that that's another part of a thing that makes tire rack special is we do have minimum standards. We're not just, you know, carrying tires at a price point that, yeah, yeah sure. Again, it's good enough or it'll do. Uh, we try to, um, you know, only sell tires that we would stand behind their performance. So uh, what sorts of, of testing do you do on the tires? And, and I guess, and how, how long has tire rack been doing testing of tires? I mean, is this something you've started relatively recently or does it go back to the origins of the company? Not quite to the origins. Our tire testing program started in the early to mid nineties, like 93, 94 uh, is the, the closest numbers that I can get. Um, you know, unfortunately, the gentleman who started our testing program isn't with us. Not he's I mean, he's still with the earth, but he's not he's not with the company anymore. Um, so, yeah. He's not with the earth. Yeah. No Poorly premature worded. obituary there. Yes, yeah, no, he's still he's still alive and well, uh, but he's not just, you know, standing next to me anymore that I can ask him those kinds of questions. Um, but yeah, I believe it was either 93 or 94. Um, so we've been doing it for a considerable amount of time. And as far as the types of testing that we do during our regular summer test season, we evaluate uh, on our road ride route. So ride quality, noise, comfort, and steering and on-road handling. And those are subjective evaluations, one to 10 score. And we have a, uh, a six mile loop of local roads around the Tyrac headquarters. And it is an excellent mix of roads. We have concrete, asphalt, asphalt, brand new, uh, cracked, frost heaved, potholed, you know, um, patch, cross cut, um, just this whole 
variety of road surfaces and conditions of repair uh, and speeds as well. Everything from 40 miles an hour up to 65 miles an hour and everywhere in between. So we've got this huge uh, kind of cross-section of, of what people experience and what people drive on every day in the real world. Um, so that's our real-world road ride, which I am terrible at saying, uh, that portion of the evaluation. And then we will evaluate on our test track. We have a, uh, it's not big, but it's a third of a mile. So it's kind of like a, you know, a, a bigger autocross style track um, with an irrigation system. So we, we test in the wet. We test uh, objective metrics. So lateral traction around our 200 foot skid pad and braking, 50 to zero mile an hour braking distances. And then we have, of course, handling laps where we evaluate lap times, segment times for you know actual objective measurements, but also we have subjective criteria that we evaluate as well. Uh, we evaluate braking behavior, steering characteristics, steering characteristics, uh, cornering traction, and then handling and balance, which is just kind of a an overall feel of athleticism for the tire. Uh, then we do those exact same things in the dry, and that's all we do for the summer portion. Uh, if it is a 200-ish treadwear or lower tire, we also go up to our local racetrack, Gingerman Raceway in South Haven, Michigan, and we evaluate those tires on the track up there. Uh, again, evaluating the same criteria subjectively in addition to lap times. For all season tires, we will also do um, ice acceleration and braking at our local skating rink. And then we go up, go to a dedicated winter testing facility and we test uh, how they perform the snow. So again, acceleration and braking and handling laps for both lap time and subjective characteristics. How big is a skating rink? Because there's people skating and you're just driving by. <laughs> <laughs> we rent it specifically for us. And it's interesting because, you know, um, it, there, there are multiple sheets of ice at this rink. So there are people in the building and some, you know, the room that, or the, the, yeah, the rink that we're in is close to the locker room. So we will have people come through and, like, you know, you see, they're taken aback <laughs> and then they stop and they watch. And after about a minute and a half, they realize this is boring. And reverse. It's, it's a, it's a normal, uh, I don't think it's an Olympic size. Um, we, uh, we accelerate from just kind of a roll to 60 feet and we time the the time in seconds it takes to achieve 60 feet so kind of like if you were to dash across an icy intersection which tire is the best and then mm -hmm. or not just the best but you know rank order and then 12 to zero mile an hour braking on the ice as well so it's it's pretty low speed stuff um you know distance stopping distance is the square of speed and all that kind of stuff so when you're on a nice rink um, you start running out of room really quickly if you try to break from much faster than that have you hit the edge yet? No. Uh, bite your tongue, first of all. <laughs> Second, <laughs> I have not. I have not. All right, so I believe I in you. I have not. There was a journalist that actually was, Oh, you can't trust journalists. You Come cannot on. trust Never journalists. Trust yep. That, we're the worst. Did a little we're going to go a little bit faster than we're supposed to. Yes. So when you did the thing that I went to, I would like to say right now, I was not a journalist who hit the end of the ice rink. I stayed on the ice at the place that you took us to. I hit nothing except maybe a cone or two. If you don't hit a cone or two, hard. you're not testing it. Sufficiently. Exactly. You're not trying hard enough. You don't know where <laughs> the limits are unless you go over every now and then. Exactly. <laughs>
As 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 a former engineer that worked on uh, ABS and traction control and stability control systems for 17 years, I'm very familiar with the the kind of stuff that you're doing. We actually didn't spend a whole lot of time in ice rinks because it's just you know not not long enough. But I spent many long winter nights uh, out on frozen lakes in northern Minnesota and in northern Sweden and uh, mm. north northern Michigan. Uh, so I'm quite quite familiar with uh, with how long it takes to stop when you're on a sheet of ice. Yeah, yeah. it sounds like we have tested at a lot of the same places, so. yeah, probably. <laughs> which makes sense because there aren't that many winter testing facilities, especially not in North America. So yeah, yeah it's a it's a pretty small community. So you know how how big is your your fleet of vehicles that you use for testing? Because I'm assuming you test a variety of different vehicle types uh, and configurations, you know, with all the different kinds of tires that are out there. You're correct. Yep. And you've, interestingly, you've kind of caught us in a transitional period right now. So I can talk about what it has been and what it's going to be. Uh, In the past, our test program was designed um, for all of our sales team to evaluate all of the tires that, that, that we test. So in order to make it as assembly line and as easy to remember as possible for our team, we group them into um, test groups of four competitive products. And we had four identically specced vehicles, each with a different tire on that product. So our sales team would just drive back to back to back to back. And that's how they got their, you know, competitor comparative evaluation. so, So they could talk to customers on the phone. Well, since COVID, our sales team has been working from home and our tire testing program switched to where it is just myself and our one other driver who evaluates all the products. So we don't need to have that um, four identical test vehicles move as quickly as possible. We can use a single vehicle per segment and then just switch the tires their track side. You know, we have a guy that does that is going to do that for us. So in the past, we had four car-based test vehicles, which traditionally have been a BMW 3 Series or 4 Series. We, uh, not last year, two years ago, switched to Subaru BRZs. Um, So that was our four cars. Then we had three SUV-based vehicles. Uh, Originally, well, not originally, but um, kind of when I first started, it was Porsche Cayennes. And then we moved to Audi Q5s, which worked Okay. Uh, and recently we've been, most recently we've been using Ford Explorer STs. Uh, those actually work very well as test vehicles. And then we also have two identically equipped Tesla Model 3 dual motor performance, the, 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 the performance model, Model 3. Um, so right now we have nine test vehicles and that's the way we've been doing it for the longest time. Now, because our whole sales team isn't going through the program anymore. Um, We're only going to have one vehicle per segment, but we are going to have more specialized vehicles. You know, right now we're using the BRZs to test touring tires or track tires or performance all season tires. And while we, I mean, they work very well. That was of course, one of the criteria before we would select what our test platform was. It's still you you can't have the right vehicle for testing performance tires and touring tires if you're only using one vehicle. So now we are going to specialize, like I said, uh, we have the, the, the G87 M2 is going to be our kind of like top tier performance. And then we don't have the other vehicles just yet, so I can't talk about all of them, 
but we're going to have a specific single kind of sporty SUV platform. We will have a touring platform. We'll have a truck. We'll have a kind of mid-level performance, and then we'll have our two EVs. So we're going to have six test vehicles now. Um, four of them are different than the two Teslas. So with testing, I know it changes from season to season. Obviously, you're doing summer testing during the summer, but are you literally testing vehicles all year long, or is there a period of time where you're not having to test vehicles there or test are, tires? Yeah, understood. There are very brief kind of three to four week windows from time to time. Um, so, you know, during our test season, our test season runs from April 1st until really the end of October, but we also almost always, I mean, I'll say always because I haven't had a single season where it didn't happen. We have those special requests from manufacturers that, Hey, can you test this product? That's not out yet. And test these two pre-production specs and let us know what you like better, that kind of stuff. So that we try to do before the test season, after the test season. Uh, and then as soon as our summer test season is done, then it's ice testing and then it's get ready for snow testing. And then it's okay, write up all the reports from the snow testing that you just did and now prepare for next test season. And so it's, you know, like I said, there are like these brief little windows, but in general, yeah, we're, we're driving, you know, we're evaluating tires. I will just say 52 weeks out of the year. It's, <laughs> it's probably not exactly that, but it's, it's darn close enough. Can you talk a little bit about the evolution of tires? Like, have they gotten, you know, percept? Do they seem better? Let's just say in the last decade. Yes, most definitely. You know, tires are something that it's a consumer product that essentially everybody uses, and very few people understand. A lot of people don't care. Uh, a lot of people just, you know, they're, they're trans. Whatever's on the car, they just get yeah. the same one. Yeah. yeah. As long, as long as I don't have to rotate it or whatever, and it still lasts me 70,000 miles, <laughs> that's like, you know, but it's, you know, it's like, it's like any consumer product. It's like golf clubs. It's like televisions. Like there are the pros. There are the people that are very enthusiastic. There are the people that, you know, want to be good at things, but really they're, you know, they're just a, a, whatever, somebody that really likes to research stuff. Then there are the people that, you know, say, I just want to make a, an informed decision. I want to make the right choice for my, for my money, for my family, for whatever. Um, so there's this huge, you know, stratification of, uh, of consumers out there. And a lot of them, unfortunately, don't notice that, yes, tires have improved throughout the years. They are still making big advances in compounding technology, in tread pattern technology, in internal construction and materials. Uh, so yes, it seems like, especially at the kind of the top tier level where they have mm -hmm. the, the, the money, the R&D, the experience, that kind of thing, tires are getting better at everything. You know, I mean, the old saying, you know, tires are a trade-off, everything's a give and take and a compromise and, you know, all that is still very, very true but they are figuring out new ways to not necessarily eliminate, but to greatly reduce those compromises. So you have tires that perform better in the wet and the snow and the dry, and they last longer than five or 10 years ago. Um, so yeah, yeah, we're, we're seeing, still seeing big improvements. You mentioned earlier, um, in, briefly in passing, all weather tires, uh, and those are different from all season tires, right? You know, or, for, or how, how different are they if they're if they're different for the longest time, 
or for a long time, we drew a line in the sand and said, we will not use the term all weather because that implies that these are tires of a different category than their all season counterparts. And in reality, you know, what they are supposed to do is still the same as a grand touring all season tire. It's supposed to last a while. It's supposed to give you good ride quality and comfort and wet traction and dry traction, but it has that three peak mountain snowflake symbol on the sidewall, which all that means is it scores 10% better than the industry standard reference test tire, the SRTT, uh, in medium pack snow acceleration traction. So it is simply just a merit badge. It doesn't have really, I mean, technically it doesn't have anything to do with braking on snow or cornering on snow. And it absolutely has nothing to do with ice. All that that snowflake symbol means is, again, it performs to a minimum competency in straight line acceleration in snow, in medium pack snow. So, you know, it's like a merit badge. Does that does that make this a totally different category just because the tires have that brand on them? Um, you know, the it's it's kind of a, a making a promise to consumers that we didn't want to make. And especially in the kind of in the early stages of those types of tires, there were non-branded tires that outperformed in the snow tires that had the three peak mountain snowflake symbol. Um, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't known in the marketplace that this symbol meant something. So tire manufacturers weren't testing their tires other than winter tires. You know, they weren't testing their all season tires to even see if they would achieve the three peak mountain snowflake brand because there was no added value to them, no added benefit to them to justify that time and that expense. So like I said, they were absolutely were non-braided tires that would outperform in the snow in that specific test, tires that had that symbol on it. Uh, well, now it's much more well-known in the marketplace. There's a whole flood of these all-weather tires from all the manufacturers. And so, yeah, now, you know, if a tire can achieve it, the manufacturers are absolutely going to test it and brand it there. So now we are getting to a point where, yes, the symbol kind of does mean something. We still don't want to overpromise what it means, um, but yeah, they have, again, they, they're all season tires that have a minimum competency of straight line acceleration in the snow. And I mean, at their basis level or at their even, you know, even above the basis level, that is what they are. Okay. Um, one, one type of testing you didn't, I don't think you mentioned was, um, off-road testing. Um, is, is that something that's part of your routine, you know, to test all-terrain tires or off-road tires? We do test all-terrain tires and max traction tires, but up until this year, we have never t done any kind of real off-road testing. Uh, I guess your listeners get to be the, the first ones to hear. Um, we are, we are developing an off-road testing program that we I am not guaranteeing, but we hope <laughs> we'll be ready to roll for our, our second to last and last test of this season. We hope we'll have an off-road testing component. We are hard at work uh, developing that as we, not as we speak, but that's, that's on our things that we're currently doing. Cool. 
All right. Um, we have a couple of listener questions that came in over the last couple of days that I'd like oh, to sure. throw at you. Um, one came from, from uh, Chuck Goolsby, a longtime listener. It says, what is the replacement interval for collector cars that don't get a lot of miles on them? You know, because I mean, if, you, if you've got a car, you know, an old car that's been, you know, that only gets driven a little bit, you know, over time, you're going to start to get dry rod on the tires, that, you know, they're going to crack. When when should you think about replacing tires on a car like that? Well, you're 100% correct. So, um, sorry, just I, always a little bit of education to, to offer up. You know, tires have anti-aging elements that are right, anti-aging compounds that are mixed into the rubber. And they are designed to permeate through the rubber, work their way to the surface, you know, get get really well, you know, dispersed through the tire through the flexing that a tire experiences during normal use. That is how they work. So that's why collector cars, garage queens, RVs, trailers, you know, those kinds of things, you'll get cracking um, seemingly more readily, more and more often than in tires that you just use on your vehicle, on your daily driver. Um, so because they're just not getting the opportunity to rotate and flex and having those materials, you know, because because polymers, you know, are literally long strand carbohydrate hydrocarbon um, molecules, you know, mm -hmm. and there's stuff that's mixed in there to keep it pliable. And yes. so it's just that stuff is kind of permeating through the tire as you use it. Yes. Yep. Through the through the flexing of the tire, that's that's the way it works. But if if the tires never really roll, then those those compounds are in there, but they're they're not getting to where they need to be. Um, so uh, of course, uh, for a collector car, it should you should inspect your tires because even if even if we give you a calendar age, which I will say actual numbers, don't worry, I'm not dancing around it. But even with <laughs> actual numbers in years. If it starts to develop cracking before that, that's when it's time to replace it. You know, I mean, you can't say, oh, I mean, these tires are supposed to last X number of years and I have X divided by two. So they're still good. That's it. Like, you know, it doesn't work that way. Um, but the, the tire industry as a whole does not have consensus on that. Certain tire manufacturers have age statements. Certain tire manufacturers completely avoid it and say, no, 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 we're not, we're not touching this one. Uh, and there have been, you know, independent studies, um, you know, JATMA, J-A-T-M-A, the, the, the Japanese equivalent of the, the DOT, you know, they have an older statement. So we've taken our experience, uh, what we've learned from our tire manufacturer partners and other studies that are out there and tire racks rule of thumb is six years from the date the tires are placed into service. And that means mounted on a wheel and inflated. That does not mean placed on the vehicle. So this holds true for the spare in your trunk as well. Because once a tire has pressurized air in the air chamber, that area air is permeating its way through the tire and it is oxidizing belts. It is introducing moisture to you know, to, uh, to casing comp or to, to casing material, it is doing its best to try to work its way through and create any kind of separation that it can. Um, so it's once it's mounted on the wheel and inflated, it's six years from that date or 10 years from the date of manufacture, whichever comes first. Um, so if you've had a properly stored, which that's a, a key component to it, if you have a properly stored tire that was manufactured five years ago, um, it is, you know, okay to be put into service and then you'll get another five years out of it um, as, as an example. Okay. Um, 
another question that we had from a listener uh, from uh, AJ Gupta uh, at a price point, how much is the difference in quality between different brands? Like, and he gave the example of, you know, is a two hundred dollar Pirelli superior to a two hundred dollar Cooper? You know, there's so much that goes into pricing of tires. Um, of course, there's, you know, the, the, the manufacturer's opinion of themselves plays into it. There is how much, you know, they want to command in the marketplace. There is, of course, materials. There's R&D. There's, you know, all kinds of, again, all kinds of kind of black magic that goes into it. Um, and even... This is sorry. This is this is a, a an in depth. This is a deep question that was just asked here. <laughs> I don't want to say or even give the impression that brand A is superior to brand B in all situations. the The only way I would be confident giving a solid answer is if you asked, "How does this?" $200 Pirelli, this specific one, compared to this specific $200 Cooper tire. Because it could be, you know, it, it could be a Pirelli, you know, P4 Four Seasons Plus, which is their standard touring all-season tire designed to last 80,000 miles. You know, it's this long life tire. And sure, it's it's fine. But if you're that focused on tread life, generally you give up something. And in that tire specific case, it's kind of wet traction and winter traction. And then you've got, say, like the, you know, uh, Cooper and, uh, and sorry, Cooper Discover and Duramax, which is an all-weather tire that's over-engineered for toughness because they thought that they needed to, or that they, that they should create a tire that is manufactured to survive the, the urban warfare of city streets of, you know, potholes and construction <laughs> zones and, and all this. So yeah, exactly, exactly. So it's like this extra tough tire for crossovers and SUVs. And it's like, those two are, are priced pretty comparatively because it's like this this Pirelli tire that is I mean it, it's good but let's let's be honest it's it's longevity focused and then you've got this Cooper tire that is like this specialized like we've got this really specific niche that we're trying to make and they're priced about the same but they're totally different you know so it's it's tough. Um, <laughs> that's, so that's a tough so, so to I guess the, the answer the answer to that then is you know it. it there, it it ver it's going to depend on what's two particular which pair particular pair of tires you're comparing, and yeah. you know there there's no there is no one right answer to that question. Correct, correct. I can make a kind of a broad generalization that again isn't always true, but we do find that the kind of the top top tier manufacturers have a tendency to be able to make tires that perform a bit better at all things than the lower tier manufacturers they the the lower tier manufacturers you have a tendency to find that they one of those you know classic tire compromises there's going to be a, a one place where they kind of falter a little bit and again that is not always not always but <laughs> and, and that you know that that makes sense you know given you know that you know uh, uh bridgestone or pirelli or continental uh, or Michelin, you know, or Goodyear, you know, they've got a lot of resources for doing R and D and testing, and you know, they can spend the time and the money 
to, to evaluate it in all these different conditions, whereas a smaller manufacturer that might be a little more specialist focusing on a particular market segment, you know, they're going to focus on particular areas of performance, and it may give up a little in some other areas. So, yeah, it kind of, kind of makes sense. Yep, you're right. And, you know, and like a tier two or a tier three manufacturer, even if they do have the materials and the R&D and the, the you know, the know-how and the expertise, if their product doesn't command enough in the market, if their name doesn't command enough in the market, that they can throw all of that, you know, weight behind it and still make a profit at what they would have to charge for their tire, they're not going to do it. Because if they've got to, you know, if it costs them $170 to throw all this R&D into a tire and the market only pay 150 for a, you know, fill in brand name here tire they're I mean, why would they, you know, it's, it's still business. So one of the topics we talk about a lot on the show, just because there's a lot of new vehicles coming out in these segments is, is EVs. And, um, you know, one of the things that I think we're starting to see more and more of is that EV tires or tires used on EVs generally don't last as long as, you know, similar tires on an internal combustion vehicle. Um, and you, you mentioned that you you do some testing with EVs. What kinds of differences are you seeing with, with EVs versus uh, gasoline vehicles? Uh, that's a, that's another one. You know, um, the based on the studies done by the tire manufacturers, they quote anywhere from, you know, 20 to 30% reduction in tire tread life for the identical tires on a, you know, similar... EV versus a, you know, comparable internal combustion engine vehicle. So yeah, automatically, it's not that tires designed for EVs wear out faster necessarily. It's that EVs wear out their tires faster because, you know, they're harder on the tires. Absolutely. Yeah. More, you know, you know, I mean, you, you, you all know the, the whole rigmarole, you know, the instant torque, the low center of gravity, the added weight, <laughs> the, the fact that it's a Tesla's, you know, a 4,000 pound sedan that's set up to handle like a Porsche 911, you know, like all this <laughs> stuff, this is all, this is all hard on tires. So that's the way it is. But we have, again, from the beginning, we, we've been since, <laughs> since tire manufacturers started asking us about what do EV drivers want from their tires, we have been telling them it's the same stuff. It's not, you know, just because you drive an EV doesn't mean you want this, you know, totally different set of characteristics out of your tire. Like, sure, maybe range, you know, low rolling resistance, maybe that is a bit more of a a factor for an EV driver than it is for an ICE vehicle driver. Um, but you know what we experienced with when the Prius first came out, we got thousands of phone calls of what's your lowest rolling resistance tire that fits my Prius. You know, it happens. So it's not just EV, you know, it's, it's, there are some consumer segments that are more conscious about rolling resistance because they want to maximize every drop of fuel or every bolt, <laughs> you know, all the electricity that they can, you know, they every electron, maximize their range. Yes, every electron <laughs> that they can, you know? So, so yeah, some, there are some EV drivers that really want a low rolling resistance tire, but I would bet 95% of the time, if you said to that person, are you willing to completely sacrifice wet traction, snow traction, and even longevity to get it? The answer is going to be no. You know, it's so they're they're still drivers. They still want 
a smooth and quiet ride. They want, you know, reasonable handling. They want reasonable longevity. They want wet traction. They want dry traction. They want snow traction. You know, drivers just, we all, we all want it all out of our tires. And again, if they last a hundred thousand miles and we never have to rotate them even better, you know, (laughs) so we, like, like I said, from the beginning, we have been cautioning tire manufacturers from focusing too heavily on the range aspect or the you know the longevity aspect like yes tire life matters to almost every driver out there there are a few of us who get excited when we have to replace our tires but most people do not but again i don't think these ev drivers and we have kind of survey results to support it they are not willing to sacrifice all these other components to get 70,000 miles out of the tires on their ev um so yeah we 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 want any ev focused tire which that's another um kind of nebulous conversation that what is an ev focused tire you know some some tires are designed from the ground up to be used on an ev some are lightly warmed over um, you know existing replacement market tires you know and, and everything in between um you know some of them are they're the same tire with just a brand on the side that says you know ev focused or whatever <laughs> um so it's wow. Yeah, I mean, it's. I'm, I'm shocked that uh, manufacturers would do something. <laughs> I know, absolutely shocked. right. <laughs> shocked. Yeah, and that we're absolutely not naming names, but just just know that <laughs> happens out there. So trust testing, not marketing. <laughs> um. So um, one of the uh, the things that we we talk we talk a lot about, um, you know, especially at certain times of the year is use of winter tires you know if you live somewhere where you get a lot of snow where where it's cold you know it's you know it's better to put on a set of winter tires you know and you know have a set of tires for the you know nine months eight or nine months of the year and another set for three or four months of the year um is i mean would you consider that um good advice absolutely Especially, you know, I mean, it, it depends on where you are in the country. There are certain areas where they get very mild winters, you know, maybe a light storm here or there, light dusting here and there, and a strong all-season tire or one of the aforementioned all-weather tires in that kind of instance would probably suit you just fine for year-round use. Um, and speaking of those all-weather tires, the good ones they're not regional tires. They can be used in Texas, Florida, Southern California, just as easily as they can be used in Minnesota. Uh, but anyway, uh, moving back to your question, for those of us in northern climates, uh, you know, in South Bend where we are, uh, we used to get, you know, something I can't remember. It was like something like 60 inches, 80 inches. It was a big number of snow every year because we got lake effect snow. Um, so yeah, for for uh, a climate like ours, it absolutely makes sense. The, you know, Difference in traction, um, words don't do it justice. You have to experience it to learn it. And that's what Nicole was at, you know, one of our events where she compared all season tires to dedicated winter tires. And the difference is just huge. You know, even on an all wheel drive vehicle um, acceleration, sadly, they're relatively close. But then when it comes time to hit the brakes, huge difference in stopping distance. And so you know, the, the mornings when you're going to work before the plows have been out and it's still dark and it snowed all night and it's just this white knuckle experience or, or worse, you know, you end up in the ditch, you end up getting a fender bed or that kind of thing. Just these, these things that 
are, I won't say completely alleviated, but so greatly reduced when you have a set of winter tires on your vehicle, just the, the confidence, the stress level that gets lowered, um, not to mention the cost of, you know, a cost of uh, uh, an insurance deductible is the same, if not more than a set of winter tires. Uh, also, your all season tires are resting while your winter tires are on, so they're not wearing. So, you know, people look at it as, oh, I have to buy two sets of tires. And in general, you know, over the amount of time that you would use two sets of all season tires, you will go through your one set of all season tires and your one set of winter tires in that, you know, roughly that same amount of mileage. And you've had better traction in, you know, in, in the hazardous conditions the entire time. So it's, it's something, it is a stumbling block for people. And there's no doubt about it. The winter tire market is shrinking, uh, unfortunately. Is uh, it? No, just, wait, people are buying fewer winter tires? Yeah, the, the winter tires are shrinking. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Oh winter is shorter. I'm yeah. so, well, no, but <laughs> my gosh, the number of times I've quoted uh, TG, you know, you're like this guy from Tire Rack when I'm talking to people, <laughs> like this guy from Tire Rack. And I've, I've used things that you taught me at, that I learned at that event through so much that I've written, so many just random conversations with people like, no, 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 really winter tires. So snow tires, whatever you want to call them, break sure. them out when it's cold, Get, yeah. take those cares. I'm like, I'm working really hard to bring the number back up. I'm trying. I appreciate that. So are we, you know, keep finding the good vibe. Yeah. <laughs> winter tires and manual transmissions. We're there for yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. No, yes. I appreciate both of those things. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, unfortunately, you know, I keep making the joke of, Oh, I wanted to last a hundred thousand miles and I never want to rotate them. Unfortunately, that is the mindset of a, a good majority of the buying public. And it's, you know, if I can set it and forget it, I just want one set of tires to use wow. year round. I'll just white knuckle feasible. it for three months. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you got it. And then all of a sudden it's over and I forget because it's spring again and we'll do yeah. the same thing again next year. It is, it is, it is amazing. I, I just did the Bridgestone winter tire driving school mm -hmm. yeah, uh, like up. last week. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And on the Blizzax and the, between the Blizzax and the, the, the all sport, the all seasons and the all weathers, it's just, there's, yeah, just go if you live in a region <laughs> where it's really cold because it just doesn't even have to be snowing. It just has to be really, really cold. Yeah. Those those winter tires make all the difference. You got it. Yeah, yeah, I I completely agree. Yeah, I I bought my first set of winter tires from Tire Rack back about 1993 for for my 91 Aww. Mustang, uh, five liter, and mm -hmm. um, you know, back in those days, um, you know. I you know I had the tires delivered to to my apartment, um, and the, the a set a set of wheels that I bought, um, and then I I went to a local tire shop and had them mounted and and put them on my put them on the car, and then I had to store uh, my summer tires you know the you know the rest of the year, uh, or the rest of the the season, um, and then just swap them in the spring and the fall, um, but now uh, you know last year something big happened for Tire Rack I think you were required by discount tires. Mm -hmm. And now I think part of that is there's now a program that if you order tires from tire rack or from discount tire, um, they'll store your tires for you. Is that correct? Mm, when you they know. Swap? Uh, uh, 
I don't. <laughs> that's outside of uh, what you work on. Yeah, I. It is. I mean, I'm familiar. We have a, a mobile tire installation service that okay. you can have them delivered to your apartment, like your like your example was. And you set up a time, and we come to you know your parking lot, and it's a van that has a mounter and a balancer, you know, already in the back of the van. And so they go, they do that whole thing while you wait. You know, it, it can be done at work, it can be done at home, or you know, if you go to the gym for you know an hour and a half or two hours a day, you know, you can have it done there, uh, just wherever there wherever there is space. Um, that is in many markets, you know, not, not every city is covered by that, but uh, it's a, we're working on expanding it to, you know, cover much, much more. Uh, but as far as like tire hotel storage goes, I am not certain. And I'm actually going to defer to my PR guy who's sitting <laughs> silently. Gary, have you heard anything about that? You know, I'm going to have to look into that one. I, I, I seem to recall reading it in in one of the press releases, but I could be wrong. I, yeah, I don't think so. Uh, I feel like that's the kind of thing I would have heard about if we were doing it now. But admittedly, that's on the that's on the marketing side of the world yeah. and the you know our business development side of the world. So maybe it snuck in when I was out <laughs> testing tires. And I didn't know. But... Call your local tire installer and ask them if they will store your tires for you <laughs> yeah. during yeah, the winter. Tire. Tell them TJ told you to call. <laughs> yeah, it was cool. TJ, yeah, you know, TJ. TJ said oh. you could store these up in the, in the mezzanine there. You know, <laughs> yeah. I'll be, I'll be back in March. Yeah. yeah. See you <laughs> so, later. Sorry, <laughs> Sam, you found a gap in my knowledge. There. <laughs> I apologize. All right. Well, let me throw one other one at you that may be more within your uh, within your scope, um, which is um, traction aids. Uh, you know, so for for those that decide to to run all season or all weather tires, uh, but they still want to be able to get some better traction. You know, if if they get a surprise snowstorm or they're you know heading up into the mountains, like for example, my daughter who lives in Denver, uh, she last fall she bought a, a new vehicle that came with all season tires, and I got her a set of these uh, snow socks to put on there because I had seen the guys at TFL tested them and they seemed to do really well. Is that something that you guys have looked at and you, do you have any thoughts on chains versus snow socks or any other types of traction aids? We used to carry the auto sock way back in the day before I, before I worked there and they do work. You know, there are varying degrees of effectiveness it's not something we have evaluated, though. Interestingly, my buddy Jonathan Benson over at Tire Reviews with a Y, uh, Tire Reviews, uh, he recently did a test with, you know, I don't know, half a dozen or so of those different traction aids and found mixed results, mixed levels of durability. Um, you know, chains, I, if I remember correctly, chains were ultimately the best on ice and pack snow. Uh, but some of the other, I'll say, uh, more easily installed and more easily portable solutions uh, worked quite well. Um, I only watched the video once, so I don't remember it specifically. And I know it's weird to, to have the tire rack testing guy recommending somebody else's testing, but uh, <laughs> if you're getting if you're getting your information from a good, reliable source, which I believe that source is good and reliable, uh, I'm happy. That's that's what I'm in. Is I'm in the tire information business, not necessarily the my testing is better than anybody else's testing. So. Um, yeah, I'm happy to defer to his experience on that one. Okay. So what is what is your personal car and what kind of tires do you have on it? Well, <laughs> for the daily, drive, the daily driver, 
I have an all-wheel drive Infiniti G37. It currently has Continental winter tires on it, the uh, Continental Winter Contact SI. Or I'm saying, ooh, that was the last generation. The Continental Viking Contact 7 is what I have on my car. Sorry, I had a moment there. Um, I just acquired this vehicle in the fall because my daughter totaled my other car. So it had some, uh, you know, quick buy them at the used car dealership and put them on so you can say this car has new tires on it. It had some of those on it. So those are gone. And I will be uh, investing in probably Michelin Pilot Sport 4Ss uh, for for the summer for that. And then my fun car is a 987 Cayman base model, and it has Goodyear Eagle F1 Supercar 3 tires on it because that car sees a lot of track days. And that's what we found to be one of the, uh, it has what I would consider to be the best combination of speed and durability. Um, So that's why I have selected that tire. All right. Robbie, Nicole, anything else? Oh, I think he's answered my questions. I need someone to pester put, him later. I got anyway. some new <laughs> tires in my garage. Could you stop by, TJ, and put the new tires on my car? I, I still haven't put them on. They've been sure, in absolutely. Yeah, for then like you can a month store now. Them your, the old ones. Yeah, still, no, the, the old ones are. They'll do it. Sure. <laughs> You've got to kill the old ones. They, they need to be recycled in, in one way or another. Mm-hmm. Or uh, I can send them to Sam. Sam will take care of it. He knows where to store them. Yeah, right. <laughs> Yeah, ship your tires to Sam. tires just like a, a mile and a half away here. So just ship all your tires to Sam. If you, yeah, Sam will yeah. take care of it. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, TJ, thanks so much for your time uh, today. It's been been a great conversation. Hopefully, we'll, we'll we'll have to get you back again sometime uh, to talk about you know other new stuff that's coming up, new stuff that you're seeing in the tire market. Yeah, certainly. I'm happy to do it. Uh, sorry for being so long-winded. That has a oh, tendency no to happen when I'm talking tires. But uh, yeah, if, if we're, you need any We're used to it. Order, we're all long-winded too. So. <laughs> all right, good. Go, 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 go. Thank you so much, Thanks. TJ. Thanks, so TJ. Long. Thanks, Gary. Right, yeah. See ya. Thank you, everybody. You guys right. have a great, great evening. Bye-bye. All right, you too. Bye-bye. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.